0: Morning, everybody, and happy Mother's Day uh, to mums. There's sure been some good things said and uh, just wonderful prayers this morning as we got started there too. So we're going to look at something a little bit um, uh, out of Ephesians today. We're out of Ephesians. I say out of Ephesians. We're going to be out of Ephesians and somewhere else. Uh, just a couple of verses. Uh, but before I do that, hands up if you have either had a mum or you have a mum right now. Just put your hand up for a sec. Okay, that's Nearly 100% of you, that's good. The people who didn't put their hand up, we might need to talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, but hands up if you, um, if you have a sibling that is completely different from you. Hands up if you're completely different, like you're chalk and cheese. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've, got, I've actually got two siblings and I need chalk and cheese and something else as well because we're all, all three of us are completely different. Now, for you ladies or the girls, hands up if you have a sister who is completely different from you. Oh yeah. Oh don't don't put the face on just put your hand up. <laughs> okay? Okay, so I think that you particularly are going to really uh, get hold of uh, what this story is about today. And I think some of you have probably already picked up uh, what we're going to be talking about. So grab your Bibles. I want you to walk past Matthew and Mark, get to Luke, get to chapter 10, put the handbrake on around verse uh, 38 this morning, and we'll see what's going on. It's only four verses we're going to look at this morning, but there's some uh, very challenging as well as wonderful lessons to be learnt here both on the Martha side and the Mary side of the coin or the shekel or the drachma or whatever you've got in your pocket uh, this morning. And certainly that's been the case for me. I can tell you for sure as I've read through just these four verses and dwelt on them, I have been hugely, hugely uh, challenged in my own uh, life. So I hope uh, the same happens for you. In fact, my prayer for you uh, this morning, for all of us as we read and talk through what's going on here, is that God through his Holy Spirit will teach us, will encourage us and even convict us of any sin that we need to deal with as well. It's important that we are aware that he may do that with us this morning to convict us of any sin that we need to have a look at so that we can be obedient. We can really start to line up with what God is and what he says. It's important for us that we line up, we agree with God. When we start um, spending time with him in the word and we start finding that we're agreeing what he says, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It means that we're on the track uh, somewhere along the line there. So as we do that, of course, our God is uh, continuing to sanctify us, and sometimes that really, really hurts. The sanctification process can really, really hurt sometimes too. But we do that so that we can become uh, more like Jesus and, in effect, bring glory uh, to him. So is that what you'd like to do this morning? Would you like to grow a little bit closer to Jesus? This is yes. This is no. This is confused. Yeah? Okay. That's great. Me too. Let's come to God together this morning with this attitude of heart. Let's really come before him. Let's pray. now. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, you are God and we are not. There is no one like you, no one that can save like you do. We thank you for rescuing us from the dominion of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Lord, would you remind us again this morning what it means to sit at your feet? to learn from you, and to live in the grace that you have freely given to us in Jesus. Lord, that we might be attentive to what you are saying to us today, eager to listen and courageous to act on what it is that you're revealing to us about ourselves. Lord, would you be gentle with us this morning and yet strong with us, we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, let's go. So here's the deal what's been happening in the last few verses in this book of Luke that you can see there in the lead up to the story in the last few verses we've seen things like um, well obviously Luke is uh, writing this for his friend Theophilus uh, so that he can know uh, about uh, Jesus too and in fact he's writing to us as well which is really neat so there's accounts and stories and events about Jesus from all these eyewitnesses that Luke has been talking to there's been we've seen miracles and healings and parables uh, raising the dead just in the last couple of chapters before the one we are today there's been a couple of people raised from the dead we hear Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ and we've heard his teaching on loving enemies and not judging others we see Jesus showing his divine authority by calming a storm merely by standing up and saying his words. And then we had the 72 that were sent out by Jesus and then they come back and they're real excited and they're rejoicing uh, because they're saying, Lord, we, we, we perform miracles and we cast out demons. And Jesus says to them, don't rejoice so much in those things, but rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. So there's lots of lessons to learn. And then just before today's story, just before it, uh, we have, we see Jesus messing with the head of a Jewish lawyer, big time, in the story of the Good Samaritan. The, the uh, lawyer tries to ask him a few tricky questions, thinks he's pretty clever, and Jesus throws some great stuff back him and tells him a story about a good Samaritan. And for a Jew, the words good and Samaritan did not sit well together at all they actually hated the Samaritans too so we get to this point now at verse 38 in chapter 10 and Luke is continuing this orderly account so why don't we read that together I think it's up there for us now as they went on their way Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Over the last uh, few months, Jesus has been on his way. See, in that first verse, they were on their way. And Jesus has been on his way, sitting out from Galilee, and he is heading towards Jerusalem uh, with his disciples where he would be loved, hated, plotted against, lied about, betrayed, falsely, accused, uh, beaten to within an inch of his life, and then ultimately he would finish up uh, dying on a cross. And three days later, rising victoriously uh, to life again. So when we read our first verse now as they went on their way, Jesus' way was the way of the cross. And that's where he's heading when he walks into this very significant, insignificant little village. We know that the village is Bethany because of the people who were living in the house. We had Martha, and we have Mary, and we have Lazarus, and it seems that Jesus spent quite a bit of time with them, indeed. In fact, it seems even in the last few weeks, he was there quite a few times as well. So we know we are in the little town of Bethany. I did a quick check because I wondered where it was. He's heading to Jerusalem, and I, I should not trust technology. It's happened to me once before. I Pressed the button and said, Siri, uh, how far is Bethany from Jerusalem? And she told me 11,084 kilometres. And that's the one in Oklahoma, apparently, because there's one there too. And so I asked her again, and this time she said 11,160, because there's also one in Colorado as well. So what I did was gave up on Siri, and I went to a source that often people use that's called the Bible. And I found that in John 11, it actually tells us that the little town of uh, Bethany is two miles away. So we finally got that one uh, sorted out. So what do I mean when I said uh, Bethany was like a significant, insignificant uh, little village? Well, I did a little bit of research, and you can find out that uh, it was not a big metropolis at all. Quite a small little place, but three pretty important things in Jesus' life happened there. I didn't realize that there were three of them like this. The first one is, of course, that uh, Lazarus, uh, who lived in that town and lives in this house that we're going to be visiting today, died and was raised from the dead, in Bethany too. So that's one of Jesus' miracles. So that's in Bethany. And then also in the village of Bethany, it's where Jesus on Palm Sunday would begin his journey into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah 9 9, which said, Behold your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So that's where Palm Sunday, the journey started from there. And the last one, Luke twenty four fifty, tells us that it's also the village where Jesus ascended into heaven and it says uh, then he led them uh, out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands he blessed them and while he blessed them he parted from them and was carried into heaven. So for a small little village it's got a pretty amazing portfolio of uh, significant events in the life of Jesus. So in this story we've got three main people okay and although we're not told how many others are in the house we assume that As they're going along their way, probably the disciples, possibly even some or all of the 72 may have been uh, with him too. So it may well have been a pretty uh, crowded house uh, that was happening at that particular time. And so as we'd expect, Jesus is the main character in this story. And he makes a couple of very poignant and important statements for us to hear and to consider uh, in our own lives uh, too. And these are some of the statements I've certainly been uh, challenged by over the last couple of weeks as I've looked at this uh, just four verses. Then we have Martha, who has a few things to say, and no doubt she probably had a few things to say under her breath, I'm uh, suggesting as well, which you'll understand if you've not uh, read this story before. And then we have her sister, uh, Mary, probably her younger sister. We assume that uh, Martha is the older sister there. And she doesn't say anything in this particular story, but her actions are screaming out loud as to the type of person that she is. We know in the culture of the day, it's interesting actually, in the culture of the day, uh, women are normally married by the time they're about 16, 17, 18. But there's no mention of any husband uh, in this particular story. So we don't really know the status of Mary and Martha, uh, but we do know that they are in this house, house in Bethany and they are uh, friends of Jesus and so this is where they're heading up and we know they're friends of Jesus because John 11 uh, gives us a pretty good idea about this family's relationship with Jesus because it says now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus and that's pretty clear in fact it appears that probably outside uh, the disciples and probably the inner circle of the uh, disciples these three people may well have been Jesus' best friends because it comes up quite a little bit and it's obvious that they are good friends. You know, because of this story, it's interesting, all the reading that you do and little bits and pieces, Martha gets a really bad rap. And I'm going to sort of look after Martha just a little bit uh, this morning. I think she, uh, she gets just such a bad rap. You know, like Mary's a good sister, she loves Jesus. Martha's the bad sister, she's the one who gets it all wrong. But that's actually far from the truth. Martha actually loves Jesus, she loves Jesus. She's kind to Jesus. When he comes, she's reliable. She gets things done. And verse 38 that we've just read tells us who welcomes Jesus into her house? Martha welcomes Jesus into her house. You might say, well, that's okay, that's all doing things, but what about her faith, you know? Well, that's interesting, too, because I uh, read something I thought, oh, that's interesting. That sort of sounds the same as that. So let me compare the pair, uh, you might say. A couple of statements, one made by Peter to Jesus, and then one made by Martha to Jesus as well. Let's see what the spiritual state of Martha is. First, in Matthew 16, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he's asking that question. And so the disciples say things like, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the, the prophets. And then Jesus asks him this question, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter pipes up and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. Now let me read you something else. This time, it's going to be Mary... And what's happened is Jesus has just arrived in Bethany a bit late, they think, because Lazarus has died. And this is before um, Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the death. But listen to what Martha says. Martha said to Jesus, this is in John eleven seventeen to 26. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Ding. Faith. If you would not been here, my brother would not have died. Ah, she believes that he can heal. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Ding, ding. Even bigger faith. She still believes that even though he's dead, that God can do something. Does she mean that he can raise him from the dead? I think possibly. I think that's probably what she's talking about. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, one of these um, seven I am statements, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, even though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe that? Now listen to her response. She says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Sound familiar? Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? It's Martha's confession of who Jesus was. And remember that Jesus told Peter this was not revealed to him by flesh and blood, but by his Father who is in heaven. So I'm assuming that God has done the same thing for Martha. She recognizes who Jesus is. So Martha has a very real faith in Jesus. She loves him. He loves her. But does that mean that she's not going to get it wrong sometimes? Okay, let's get back to the Martha that everybody has a go at. No, of course. She's going to get things wrong. She's going to have a bad day. Are there going to be things in her life that she needs to work on, that God needs to help her with? Yep, of course there is. Is she going to be dealing with sin? Yes, just like us, every day she's going to be dealing with sin. Anybody else know anybody like that? One, two, three, that's all pointed ourselves. Okay, that's good. And on this particular day, she gets it really, really wrong. Major, she really, really gets it wrong. In fact, when I saw something in this passage, I went, almost had to take my breath. We'll get to that. So what are the two sisters doing? Let's head into the living room and we'll start with Mary, okay? So the text tells us quite simply that Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching, obviously taking everything in and no doubt growing in her love for him even uh, more than she already loved him. I've got to wonder, I was just thinking, I wonder if Martha had known what was going to be happening to Jesus soon in Jerusalem with his crucifixion if she would have stopped what she was doing and maybe sat at his feet uh, too. But she didn't do that. And so here we have Mary. Mary's there uh, sitting at Jesus' feet, enthralled, just taking the whole thing. If the Mount of Olives had split in half right then, she wouldn't even hurt it. She was just that absorbed in what Jesus was talking about, what he was saying, what he was teaching uh, her. Martha, on the other hand, she sees all these people come into the house and bang straight into work mode. She jumps straight into it. She starts getting the house cleaned up, starts getting all the food ready, gets all the preparation done so that she can serve all of these guests. We actually see Martha three times in the New Testament. And you know what? Each time that we see her, she is serving. That interesting. And one of the times that she's serving, we know this time that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. One of the other times that it says Martha was serving Mary, this time, is sitting at Jesus' feet again, but this time she's pouring some very expensive ointment on his uh, feet, made out of pure nard, and then she's rubbing and washing his feet with her hair. Interestingly enough, culturally, if you'd watched this scene, culturally, Martha's doing exactly what was expected of a woman in those days, to get things prepared, to do all those sorts of things. I know some of you women are wincing right now, but that's just how it was uh, back at this time. We know now that it's the men that are doing all the work around the house, but that's changed. Oh, not in your house? (laughs) So culturally, the women, uh, Martha's doing exactly what the women would do at that time, right? It was Mary that had the whole cultural thing upside down. Because you see, in those days, a woman did not sit at the feet of a rabbi. You just didn't do that. It was not the done thing. And so this is an unusual situation. And if there'd been Jewish elders and things and they knew that Jesus was a rabbi, they would have looked quite sternly at her, wondering why she was actually doing that. But the reality is that uh, in fact it was is it uh, paul in acts uh, 22 uh, it says that he is sitting at the feet of uh, the teacher Gam- Gamaliel, and he talks about that as well so this was a done thing there was no schools as such there'd be rabbis and people would follow the rabbis they might be invited into that group and they'd sit and they would be taught by these people but jesus comes along and he busts the whole cultural thing apart and we know that it didn't matter to him man woman anybody wants to sit at his feet they can do that and mary right here is taking advantage of that We remember the story of Jesus sitting at the well and the Samaritan woman is there and he starts to talk to her and she's even wondering why he would even bother to talk to her because Jewish people just didn't talk to Samaritans. But Jesus took all of that apart and here we have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, enthralled, listening to what he has to say, totally against the culture of the day. So while Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning, Martha is out in the kitchen and she's preparing some extra unleavened bread and some falafels and some Bethany bagels or whatever they make in the, the kitchens there. And suddenly, I'm taking a bit of poetic license here, suddenly she notices that Mary is not there helping her. Hmm. So she sort of tilts her head sideways and she looks into the living room and there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus with the disciples and all the other guests. So Martha sort of trying to wave to get her attention because she thinks she should be in the kitchen helping her prepare. So she tries out this side a little bit. Maybe if I get peripherally over here, she might see me. But no, it doesn't seem to happen. So she tries it two or three times. And now she's starting to get annoyed because Martha's thinking, Mary should be out here helping me. I'm going to do all this myself. There's all they've guessed here. She should be in the kitchen. Hmm. So she goes to the shelf, poetic license. She picks up one giant pot and she picks up another giant pot. And she puts her head around the corner and gets a stern look by five guys. But Mary's still looking at Jesus, taking everything that he is saying. And that is the straw that breaks the camel's back. I always wanted to say that in a Middle Eastern setting. It's good, isn't it? (laughs) Just thought of that then, actually. It's great. I love that. Martha has had enough. And now... She's about to enter the living room with steam coming out of her ears, okay? But also what's about to happen is that Jesus is about to reveal what's going on in her heart. So ducky your heads, folks, because this could get angry and ugly right here, okay? So verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Uh-oh. Wow. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the overflow is now spilled all over the living room floor in this particular house. Do you realize what Martha's just done? Have a a look what she's just said. Have a look at it. She's just actually accused Jesus. And then straight after that, she's commanded him. This is the son of the living God. This is the creator of the universe. And she's accused him and she's commanded him. If there was a lightning storm, I'm not going to stand next to this woman right now, I can tell you. First she accuses him, Lord, you do not care. And then she commands him, tell her then to help me. She's saying this to Jesus, don't you care? Jesus could have easily said, don't care. Well, look, I've been pretty busy teaching and healing the sick and raising the dead. And I am going to go down to Jerusalem and die for the sins of the world. But hey, can I have another bagel? You know? And then she commands him, tell her to help me. You can tell they're sisters, aren't they? I heard um, a preacher talking about it. It's hilarious. You can just see that these two are sisters because you get those, those sort of fights between sisters. And can't you see, like Martha at 12 years old. Mom! Mom! Mary's in the lounge room again singing worship songs and dancing around the place and it's her night to put the table together. Don't you care, Mom? Don't you care? Well, with this accusation and demand made Jesus, Martha's heart has been instantly revealed right here, okay? Because she just walked right up and this is what she has said. I actually wondered what the crowd did. or I don't think she sort of sneaked up and whispered in Jesus' ear, hey, "Can I talk to you just for a minute? I rather suspect she just came straight in and said it. And it would have been easy for Jesus to rebuke her harshly, but look how he speaks to her. Keeping in mind that we know that he loves Martha and Mary. He loves them both. But he says to him, verse 41, that the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, probably to everybody else in the house, they saw Martha running around the place and thought, wow, what a woman. She's amazing. What a servant heart she's got. And the reality is that my suspicion is that she probably did serve with a great heart very, very often, but not today. Not today. Jesus today is discerning something different. He can see that Martha is serving now out of anxiety and not by grace and not because of her love for Jesus. It's a completely different serving that's going on here. He can see that she is serving out of wrong motives. Oh, did that hurt you like it just hurt me? Serving out of... Wrong. I shouldn't do that. I've had three heart attacks. I'm going to pay for some people. <laughs> Sorry, family. Sorry. <laughs> but it's true. Think about it. Some of you may have winced a little bit when I, when I said that. Serving out of wrong motives. Let's think about it. Probably the types of things that were making Martha anxious are the same types of things that make us anxious as well. The first thing is she's anxious about what Mary is doing, okay? Because she thought that Mary should have been doing what she was doing. In other words, she's putting her expectations on Mary. And how many times do we even with our brothers and sisters in Christ, get anxious thinking that the other person, that person should be doing what I'm doing because this is the right way to be doing this, even in a the ministry. They should be doing it this way. They should be thinking the way that I'm thinking. They don't actually say it out loud. but This is what goes on in their head. Why are they thinking that way? Sometimes their face tells a story or their email tells a story of what's uh, going on. We want our own way, so we get anxious. And then we get maybe a little bit argumentative. And maybe we start making demands and grace has gone out the door. And all of a sudden it's not about Jesus and his ministry. It's about me and what I'm doing too. Guilty. Some of you are guilty. It can happen in ministries, I mentioned. And when it rears its ugly head... You often see things like selfishness and pride a lot of accusing accusing going on the result as I said is that grace just goes out the door whenever there's an argument in a ministry that seems to be unresolved quite often there is somebody wanting their own way or they're anxious about something because they think it should be done a certain way or we should be busy doing this instead of sitting at Jesus feet and asking him what it is that he would have us do whether it's in our own lives, whether it's in our ministry, or whether it's in uh, the complete church. And that's sin. Call it for what it is, it's sin. And it can prevent ministries and churches or even relationships from really, really thriving. And Satan goes, yeah, it's where I do my best work, right in here. This is something we need to be aware of. Put Jesus' ways first, not ours. And this is the hard bit, throw our own pride and anger to one side. That can also be pretty hard too because we've got hard heads, many of us. And then ask forgiveness, here's the other side of it, to ask forgiveness both from God and from the person or the group of people being sinned against. And guess what happens then? Victory. Right there, victory. There are so many battles going on and so many times the victory is not won because we still want our own way and we want to butt heads and we are not giving up until we get our way. And that's a victory but not for God. We need to be aware that sin is sin. Martha also might have been anxious about her house. Oh, how does it look? Does it look Okay oh, there's a lot of people coming I didn't know they're going to be here so quickly uh, what about the way we're serving and the food is the food okay are we doing it the right way hmm and to my mind there one of the biggest struggles here is uh, being anxious about how we are impressing or pleasing people Ooh, that just happened to me again we sometimes choose to be people pleasers rather than god pleases, where in reality, the people pleases. well, that lasts for a moment. And the pleasing God and following Jesus lasts for a lifetime. In fact, there are treasures in heaven for some of those things that we are doing. Whereas if we want the applause of man, that's going to be here and it's going to be gone like that and forgotten forever. If I gave us all three seconds of think time, we could probably come up with five personal examples each of how we've either tried to impress or please people before God. Not trying to lay a guilt trip on you because I'm throwing it at me as well, but it's true. This is what it is, and it's ugly, ugly sin. Many of us do it to different degrees too. One writer puts it really, really well. Listen to this. I think this is really very true. And it can be deceiving for people, but it can also be deceiving for the person who is doing it as well. Listen carefully to this. This kind of anxiety is very subtle. It has a selfish root, but its fruit looks deceptively like unselfishness. It's the desire for approval dressed up to look like the desire to serve. It looks so much like the right thing that we start believing that it is the right thing. Wow, that is such a trap. Particularly if we want the approval of man, it's so true. But don't despair. Here's the good news. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's not the good news. It comes after that. We all sin, we know that. Nobody's ever not going to be able to not sin until uh, the day that we are with Jesus. I can't wait for that day. Cannot wait for that day. The thing is that you are not lost. God still loves you. And even if it's something you've been doing for years, this sort of behavior, and even been uh, trapped in. But if you're being convicted of sin this morning, and I don't know how God works. I have no idea how he's working through his Holy Spirit in all of you this morning. But if he's convicting you right now of this type of sin, where you're trying to get the approval of man, rather than the approval of God, maybe we need to deal with that. And the reality is if you belong to Christ, if you don't belong to Christ, there's nothing you can do with it at the moment. You can just try and improve that. Or maybe if you don't belong to Christ, you're enjoying that anyway. But if you don't like that and you hate that and you recognize it as sin, we can come straight to Jesus in genuine repentance and ask forgiveness and be set free and then turn around and head in the opposite direction and give glory to God for the things that he's doing in you not get the applause of man but rather receive treasures from heaven 1 John 1 9 we know well if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness the part that I normally look at and I was looking last night I thought no that, that word there I like that word if we confess our sins very important He is faithful. Yes, he is. And just to forgive, yes. Oh, hang on. And to cleanse us, to clean us up as well from all unrighteousness because we're not righteous ourselves. Our righteousness comes from Jesus and he's the only one who can clean us up. So to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a gift we've been given. So what I'm going to do in the middle here, I'm going to stop right now Because if God has been speaking to you, if he's been convicting you of anything this morning, if you need to get something right with him in regards to this very issue, why don't we pause just for a minute? Because the the tendency is that we could, hey, that was interesting, I was thinking about that and then I went home and then I forgot about it. But we can deal with it now. You do not have to pray for an hour and a half to be cleaned of that. Does it mean you're not going to come back and do that again? No, but you need to pray that God will help you to recognize that and he will help you deal with it. So I'm going to stop. And if that's you, if there's something you've been convicted of even this morning you're thinking about, let's spend one minute just now in prayer. Can we do that? Then we'll come back to the story. Let's do that. Thanks for sitting at the feet of Jesus just for a minute in the middle of of all this. The next part of the story now, we're going to turn our attention to what Mary's been doing while Martha's been anxious and troubled by many things, okay? So let's read some of the verses here. Um, uh, Where are we? There's read verses and I didn't put them down. That's a good idea, don't I? don't I'm uh, anxious troubled about many things. Okay, says Lord, right. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So Mary loves Jesus and has learned to stop. And to be still. Maybe she's just naturally like that. What a blessing to be to be that sort of person who just loves to stop and to be still. They can drive us up the wall sometimes, can't they? Those sorts of people. All the Marthas are nodding their head. <laughs> Go right and she's learned how to push all the other distractions out of the way for a while so that she can drink in what Jesus is saying to her and dwell on the words and be refreshed. And this is something that we are really, really bad at uh, these days. And why is that? Um how many people do you know who constantly tell you I'm just so busy Oh, I'm just so busy I'm so tired and I'm so so busy sometimes we get tired of hearing it and sometimes we get tired of saying it I reckon too. and when you think about it some of the stuff that people are busying themselves with and that we are busying ourselves with if we honestly stop and think about it a lot of the things that we're filling our lives with making it busy they're actually not really that important We trick ourselves. We're tricked into this. And if you looked at your own life, you thought, I'm so busy doing this, busy doing that, and you'd really thought about the things that are making you busy, I wonder how many of them are actually essential or really important and how many you've actually brought into the busyness already of your life. There's a very well-known Australian biblical scholar, an author and a writer on matters of uh, Christian doctrine uh, possessing exceptional insights into uh, biblical narratives. His name is Colin Buchanan. And in one of his latest writings to the Church's Next Generation, he suggests the types of activities in our lives that can distract us from spending time with Jesus. Uh, These are some very wise words from one of the most recent songs, which just by the way, he gave the title, um, Mary and Martha. Let me read one of the verses to you. I've got to polish the guinea pigs, vacuum my nose, concrete the groceries, cook up my clothes, shampoo my homework, paint my cat blue, walk my gorilla, practice kung fu. How can I serve God when I still have so much to do? Now, probably some of you don't shampoo your homework, but I bet you there's some equivalent that is in your life that's just as ridiculous as well. That is also a waste of time. Shabu sent me an article yesterday And I had a look at it, and the the title did it all for me. It said, Stop Bowing to the God of Busyness. And we do that, don't we? We stop, and the the God becomes the busy life that we we have. One of the statements that jumped out at me from this uh, Adam Mabry's article was this. It said, Smug senses of superiority for accomplishing many tasks don't fit neatly into God's kingdom. Measuring oneself by achievements doesn't match up with the gospel that saves by grace and not by more works. And that is so true. By grace are we saved, yeah, through faith. Is it to do with works? No, it's not. You know, the Book of Mormon actually very suspiciously, suspiciously takes that verse, but it's not quite right. It actually says this, by grace are you saved after all you can do. In other words, Works is what's going to save you, not the grace of God. And we have to understand we will continue to preach in here the grace of God because there's nothing we can do, folks. It's all about Jesus. It's not about anything that we can do ourselves. And so it's by grace uh, that we're going to be saved. Satan wants us to be so busy that we become distracted spending time from spending time with the Savior, let alone our family or our friends. Busyness messes up our families too. We know that. Sort of raising and wave the kids away. We go, and the next thing we're at the twenty-first. Pooh! How'd that happen? Don't let that happen. Some people even become too busy in their ministries, and that's really sinful. That's a rotten thing. When we get so busy in the church, I've got to do this, 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 this. And some people even think oh, that's a good thing. Look what I'm doing for God. No, you're not actually. You're not, because there's a time when busyness in that form is not godly at all. We need time to stop and spend time at the feet of Jesus by being in his word and spending extended time in prayer, extended time reading his word, talking to him, getting to know him, growing in the knowledge of who he is and spending time in praise and worship of the one who saved him. I remember one of the times that I enjoyed that most was at the top of a mountain in Switzerland, a Jungfrau it is, and Florina and I, we walked out on the snow and I have never seen anything like it in my life in my life and I was actually in tears and I just started to sing out loud and I'm sure the German tourists beside me were wondering what I was doing but I could do nothing but praise God for what uh, we were seeing there so we need to stop and we need to recognize him and to worship him for who he is. It must really grieve our father to watch us sometimes as we run around filling up our time with these things that slice into the time that we could be spending with him. To spend time with the Lord is the good portion that Jesus said would not be taken away from Mary. And in the same way, when we spend time with Jesus, it will not be taken away from us too. There's value in that. There's eternal value in spending time uh, with him. John Piper uh, says, it's the thing he's been saying for years, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You know what he loves us to do? He loves us to sit at his feet, to read, to communicate with him, to love him, to adore him. And God is most satisfied with that. He loves that. He's glorified in that work. If you're anything like me, when you are not spending time in God's Word and your prayer life is like a rushed and very dry few moments at the start and the end of every day, I find that I cannot function properly. I actually, the day is basically a wreck. And God is certainly not being glorified in how uh, I'm living at that time. am not suggesting you know, for one moment uh, that it's easy for everyone to find time in sometimes very unavoidable and busy sets of circumstances. Of course, that's going to happen. There's no doubt about that. I mean, how does a busy mum who works a full-time job, has a husband, works long hours, active little kids, how do they make time to sit at the feet of Jesus? How do they do that? How does a student with a large study load or a job as well how do they get things organized so that they don't ignore God during the day? How does a tradie he leaves work at 5 o'clock in the morning, works really hard during the day, and then gets home at 7? He's got kids, he's got a wife, but he's also got bookwork work to do too. How does a tradie in that case, how does he sit at the feet of Jesus? I certainly have some suggestions, but I, I don't know all the answers to those things. I don't. But what uh, I'm wanting to do... Uh, in the next few weeks is to search out some people who do this well some mums some tradies some others in situations and and put some little video clips together and ask them what they do so that we can help each other out here or even connect people in similar situations so that they can help what things do you read what do you do when you start what happens because there might be some people who've possibly never done that before so we really want to encourage you in that side of things Maybe it's time to ask for help from the Holy Spirit in regards to things that trouble us and make us anxious. eh? Maybe it's been a while since we've made it a priority to sit at Jesus' feet and to read his word and to enjoy his presence and expect to hear from him. Let me say that again, to sit at his feet, to read his word, to enjoy his presence and expect to hear from him because he speaks through his word. Maybe God's saying something like this today. John, John. Shabu Shabu. Lexi Lexi. Ivana. Ivana. Insert your own name. You are anxious and troubled about many things. but one thing is necessary. And that is to choose the good portion that will not be taken away from you. In our own church here, at Canterbury Gardens, we have um, Martha's, natural, natural Martha's. And we've got some natural Mary's as well. And we actually need them both. We need both. Thank you for that nod, Martha. That was excellent. <laughs> and more importantly, we need to be both not just one we need to be both i think it works like this mary first martha second both are important but one is more important mary first then martha second in other words spend time with jesus and then get stuff done in order so that when you're getting stuff done you're still thinking about jesus okay that's how mary and martha work in tandem We need to have Mary's heart and Martha's hands so we can worship like Mary and we can work like Martha. Let's pray. Well, God, I want to thank you for making us just the way you've made us. And thank you that in your great mercy and love, you have searched us out, revealed yourself to us, and through the precious blood of Jesus, saved us. Lord, we desire as your children uh, to worship you with both our hearts and our hands. And we would ask that you teach us how to do this because we're not always good at it. Help us, Lord, to stop and to be still before you, to sit at your feet, to learn from you, and to worship you. Father, that we might see clearly what you're saying to us that we might have the courage and obedience to follow Jesus and in doing so, bring glory to your name. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for being with us and leading us and teaching us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.